Hello and welcome to this week's Stats Bomb Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knudsen. We're back from outer space. Are we? Or the international break. Either way, depends on how you think about it. And Liverpool. You went to Liverpool, didn't you? We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, uh, we've got, what, what are we talking about today? We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Liverpool. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some new research that we've got on the site today, which is interesting and kind of is a taster for the future, I think, really, for what we can do with fun stats on data. And then we're going to have a look, look review how, I think, early predictions of the bottom of the Premier League and see how they're panning out just just, <laughs> just to start with. So there's a few things to get with, and we'll see how long that takes. And, and we never know, we might add some more in. But anyway, Liverpool. Liverpool, interesting topic. Uh, you, went, you went there, Ted. You went and watched Naby Keita in the flesh, except... It didn't quite happen, but you still had a good time, I hear. Yeah, so uh, there was a there was a debt to be paid. I think I, I promised if uh, if Naby if Naby were purchased um, by Liverpool, I would uh, I would go see him in the flesh. And uh, then a couple of locked account Liverpool fans who will will leave anonymous, but thank you very much, by the way. Um, promised the purchases of kits would be made. So now my entire family has a Naby Keita kit from the Liverpool <laughs> store in Anfield, including the little one. Um, <laughs> and and they're kind of delighted, although my son's like on the fence. He's like, hmm, you know, not sure if this is okay. He is an Arsenal fan, but he's he's like a little looser than that because basically at the start of his footballing experience, I was working for Brentford. So like, you know, it's uh, like, oh yeah, Brentford is really cool. But then like, you know, that's kind of over for the moment. I'm still into Brentford. He's less so. He's really an Arsenal and uh, and Barcelona fan. <clears throat> so, yeah. Anyway, so I was there uh, first time at Anfield. Uh, spectacular environment and atmosphere, like really, really cool. Uh, Paris fans were seeing constantly. They brought the damn drums, <laughs> right. which they also have uh, in in one of the fan bars in New York, except for that's in a basement, uh, which is a bit loud. Um, so yeah, got to see. Got to see Liverpool in person, uh, you know, on the fly uh, against you know one of the possibly most talented teams in Europe. Although I think that you know there's been a lot of uh, a lot of writing about that this week. Yeah, I've got opinions on that. I think everyone's decided to throw the baby out with the bathwater a bit. I mean, I I thought those opinions were very sharp and <laughs> uh, probably unwarranted, but we we can talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, you try and go to Liverpool and get a result. Literally, I think people are just underrating Liverpool, right? You know, they got to the Champions League final literally four or five months ago. Yeah. And they are a good team. You know, they've made Tottenham look like fools, uh, you know, the other day. They're, they've dominated PSG in this game. And also, related to PSG, like, you know, Tuchel's... He's only been there for a handful of games, you know, early days, working things out. You know, this is just a tough fixture. It's, 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 not, a, it's not a bad reflection on you if you go to Liverpool and you, and you have a hard time. This is just where we're at now. Liverpool have improved... Uh, probably consistently that throughout this calendar year we're not looking just at this season you know there are longer samples that you can take note of and I think yeah like they got to the Champions League final literally months ago if if someone went to Real Madrid the other Champions League final um, <laughs> participants and got a bit dicked yeah. like no one would really bat an eyelid it would just be like well that can happen so 
Am I saying Liverpool are as good as Real Madrid? I'm not saying that at all. But a Liverpool highly efficient unit and able to shred pretty much anyone on their day, well, they are. So they know. were, yeah, they were very, very good that night. But I think that like there's something else going on with PSG that you, know, you need to be aware of. Like the well, actually, there's a couple things, and that that leads us a bit into some Champions League stuff. So I guess we may as well continue on with this. But PSG, like I hear from fans all the time, oh, that's a farmer league. League One is a terrible league. Really? <laughs> like, really? Many of the best players in the Premier League have been in League One recently. Like, not just like you know a while ago, but like recently, right? Mm-hmm. And and League Two is actually a good place to to get talent too. So like people are like always writing it off, but like Zlatan went from uh, you know being dominant on that PSG team to then like scoring buckets when he came to England as, as, when he was old, like 35 or whatever. And people are like, oh, hmm, I don't know. But like the fact of the matter is, you know, Lyon, Monaco, uh, Marseille, PSG, all really pretty good teams for the most part. Um, yeah. Nice, less certain about, but like those teams also seem to be you know, fairly sharp in like how they're run, right? Yeah. Like they're they're selling for big money. Like Leon, like restock and and reload almost every single year. It seems like to to very little detriment. PSG might be you know, lesser in terms of like how they handle talent and stuff, but they've got a great talent pipeline, um, and they obviously have great talent for the most part, at least especially up front. Um, and then the other team, I mean Monaco. Like how could you, how could anybody complain about how Monaco is actually run? Like they they churn out talent they sell it for huge money and then they come right back and and end up being good almost every single year so i don't know it's not a farmer league that's for sure but the other thing about psg so they they play in like at least a moderately difficult league that's not simple and they're set up and their goal is to do well in the champions league and you can't do that playing how you play against cayenne you can't do it playing how you play against all of the, the bottom half of that league, right? Like, you, you're not going to be dominant in the later rounds of the Champions League. And I think that what was interesting from Tuchel is that this team actually middle-blocked for, for pretty much the whole game, which I was surprised by. Um, mm. That, that has, hasn't been something I saw regularly from them. And I think that it's something that he wants them to learn how to play out of this year, being tighter. Uh, they didn't have... Uh, an ideal midfield at all. Like Di Maria and Rabio were were two of the three, but like I think Di Maria was like partially playing as a six, which is really unusual. I don't know. Like I I think that you know you have to give Tuchel time to to figure it out a bit. It's a uh, and and this was you know they're they're going to come out of the group almost certainly. This is a fine place to experiment. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, you you away at Liverpool. Like you know, <laughs> you have got to try and work out how to how to beat them. Um, most teams will roll up at Liverpool this year and try and just not get beaten. Like your PSG, you've got to go and try and try and win the match. That's that's fine. And you know they almost got a draw out of out of it, despite having one. despite not having much to play. But then that was possibly how they organised, um, you know, their strategy at least to some degree to to exploit their forward talent and maybe you know, uh, Nick. You know, nick a couple of goals because they're they're all they're always goals in that side, aren't they? That's always going to be the case, and you know, hope hope to kind of limit things at the other end. I don't know. It's it's it feels like Tottenham as well. Like Tottenham got you know pretty much hammered by Liverpool the other day, and um, yeah, so much narratives come out of that of of like you know the, the Tottenham. I think Tottenham do have issues, but like I wouldn't be hanging them around getting 
hammered by Liverpool. I think that you know there's a broader picture that you can you can kind of tune into, and just getting hammered by Liverpool is one of those things that can happen. And also in at the top of the Premier League, the the good teams that can beat each other and quite significantly. Only go back a year, Tottenham beat Liverpool four one in that same fixture. So yeah, I mean this is partly why why I I'm just one of the old stats bomb tenants was to to write about uh, like the, the truth rather than the narrative kind of thing and uh, it just feels like six weeks in we're getting the, the narratives of building and I just want to subvert them Ted it's just my natural way <laughs> it is it is actually how we work isn't it not intentionally so it's kind of interesting like so uh, I was talking to a journalist or two this week and, and they talked about how a lot of the stuff that we discuss early ends up being like the follow-on things for, for weeks afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I, usually that's a stats-based argument. But in this one, it's a little less so. It's just more about understanding kind of what's going on for this particular fixture. Um, yeah, Liverpool are very good, and that's the, pretty much the end of it. I thought, so in this match, I, the, the three real standouts that I thought were, were mostly on the, the midfield and defensive side for Liverpool. I thought Henderson and Milner worked their asses off. And a lot of what PSG were doing was they were underloading the right side with Mounier and, and Mbappe and then sort of waiting to see how Liverpool would shift out of that because the, the Neymar side tends to be slightly more dangerous on it. Um, and, and Liverpool never really shifted. They, they really stayed you know, locked in over there. The one time that Mbappe left and did shift, Mounier was wide open in the, in the box for, for PSG's first goal, which really felt like it came out of nowhere. Mm. Um, <clears throat> And so, like, Miller and Henderson worked so hard. And then the, the sort of equalizer goal came when those guys got really tired and Neymar started tucking into the center to take up that space because there wasn't anybody there. And suddenly the game got really open for about a 10, 15-minute stretch. Um, and then Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, like, was really, really good. Like, he was dangerous going both ways. And you have to remember, he's on Neymar's side. <laughs> Like right, being yeah. dangerous going both ways for a fullback on Neymar's side, that doesn't generally happen. It tells you what an awesome talent this kid is. Yeah, I mean, him and Gomez coming through at the same time is just such an absolute boon. I think we discussed it before, but, you know, that's <laughs> how, how to enhance your already, like, quite solid team is just get a couple of kids just land on. Like, you know, Tottenham had it when Ali just came through and. You know, we, like, we loved Gomez. A lot of people loved Gomez. It was a bit like Delhi, actually. Like there were a lot of teams that were like, "Ooh, I really like that guy." And he went to the team that decided to, you know, was a good landing spot and a good offer. Um, then he got injured, but even as a as a team, sort of, he looked pretty incredible. Um, but my God, so so Rabio in midfield is huge, absolutely <laughs> enormous. But then he went and stood next to Van Dyke at, at corners, and you're like, "Whoa." <laughs> <laughs> he, he's still not that big because, like, standing next to him, like, I, you don't realize how big a lot of these guys are until you see, like, an Alexis Sanchez or something standing on the pitch next to the center backs, and you're like, whoa, that's that's about as big as the disparity gets there. There's, yeah, there's still a reasonable argument to get the get the better, bigger players and uh, and kind of work it out from there. <laughs> the best big men will typically beat the best little men in the long term. Um, <laughs> But, you know, there's tactical stuff involved as well. It's not yeah, like just... You don't need 11 of them. Maybe six or seven. Maybe seven or eight. Eight, nine. Nine big guys. And then Messi and Neymar. Or something. <laughs> there's, there's, there's your team. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. or, or you could do the old Mourinho-Chelsea style where you just buy, like, all the best big guys from around Europe because people somehow don't really know about them enough. Uh, then you put them all on the same team and you run over a league for, for a course of, like, two years until like, you wear it out. 
Just to um, quickly return to Liverpool's <coughs> form, um, Rory Smith replied to a tweet I put out on Twitter yesterday, saying um, saying like he wasn't wasn't sure that they hit hit the heights that they had at points last season, which is an interesting point because I think if you look at their um, their numbers um, across say this this calendar year, their defence has just improved like throughout and. Their kind of their attack has has been pretty stable and is possibly I think I looked at it and across like a ten game stretch like their, their attack's been as sharp as any well sorry as has created as much as any point during this year but mm-hmm. the thing is their finishing's been a bit uh, you know, moderate harsh I think we've in in our stuff we've got them uh, I think they've scored ten goals and is it 10 goals and a penalty in the league and we've got them as expected goals at 11 now if they'd have run hot in attack you know Salah had scored three three goals where he hasn't and finished a few more chances nobody would be discussing anything about Liverpool's form being uh, you know maybe not as hot as it uh, as it has uh, sorry as good as it has been uh, points last season they, they just look structurally really strong. And, and I mean, there may be trade-offs there too, right? Like they're happy to to defend well and and not give up the the chances and score only two goals a game as opposed to the four. Um, I yeah. think the you know that that certainly as you get into Europe is is like you know general preference. Uh, I talked to some Liverpool fans this week and they felt that like Salah was. Uh, not firing in the same way that he was last year. You don't know if that's like some fatigue, maybe some, some leftover injury stuff. Like he still looks fine, and his close control, I, I was really quite impressed by. Uh, <laughs> against against one of the best teams in the world, like let's let's like be honest about that. Yeah. PSG are still really good. They they have 17 goals and four against in in league un right now. Like Liverpool have 11 and two. Um, but yeah, it was it was a it was a cool game. The, my my issue Anfield the atmosphere was great. It was lovely to be there. Uh, my only issue was that I I actually could not really sit down in my in my seat because uh, <laughs> there's no space because it's a very old stadium. You're not but, a small guy, are you, Ted? You've got got a bit of height on you there. So I'm I'm a, I'm a miniature person, <laughs> uh, as you can tell from the voice. <laughs> so um, yeah. So I think that's it about Liverpool. But it's um. I don't know. I think can Liverpool threaten City at the top of the top of the table this season is is a is a viable question. Um, it's hard to say no right now. Uh, this they felt like they got used to managing um, their workload a little bit better last year, and they actually rotated rotated. Um, they have depth outside of the forward positions. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> James Milner is just like having an absolute Indian summer at the moment, isn't he? He's, he's, uh, you know, you wouldn't have put him down as a guaranteed starter in their midfield at the start of the season, and he, he's just been really high class. Um, you know, for some while now, really. And uh, yeah, you, like you say, definite depth there, definite depth at the back, providing Dayan Lovren's uh, legal issues don't go awry. I think they'll they'll still be all right there. But um, yeah, City City still set the benchmark despite losing last night. Uh, but Liverpool. Yeah, did you watch that game? The City I watched. Game? I I kind of watched the second half because I was. I was <laughs> you know, it's like you're on a Champions League. You're kind of dithering around trying to decide what to watch, and then and then a narrative jumps jumps out of it. And obviously they went two 0 down, so it's like right, I'll watch the second half of that. And it was pretty pretty typical City. They prodded and poked, and uh, you know, Le- Leon obviously d- did fairly well to to get their the position out of it but again you look at the shot line and expect goals on that thing and it was it was one it felt like one of those kind of one of those games um 
Leon took their chances. Um, yeah, bit of, bit of magic, and there yeah. you go. And you know that's that that can that can very much happen, and we see it see it often. So I don't I don't think it's any time to to fear Man City uh, decline just yet, and their Premier League numbers look spectacular at the moment. So um, Juventus beating Valencia two nil after a 29th minute red card from Ronaldo was a weird one. It doesn't really <laughs> reflect very well on Valencia, does it? <laughs> but, but but they're a good team, aren't they? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so, I, I, I guess so. So you, but yeah, one of those funny ones, isn't it? And Derek was uh, was watching Real Madrid versus Roma, and he's like, "Why did they put their shortest player in the center of the wall? What sort of amateur hour is this?" Oh, yeah, <laughs> I mean that's that's a, that's a point I think has come out of this week's Champions League games is that you know Barcelona and Real Madrid. You know, whatever you say about the English teams, United had a good result against weaker opposition. Obviously, uh, Liverpool had a good result, Tottenham and um, City less so, but. Business as usual for the Spanish giants. Literally turn up in the Champions League and absolutely demolish teams. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> some things some things stay the same, and I think that's you know Barcelona and Real Madrid <laughs> demolishing teams <laughs> is is going to happen there. To flip that over though, like Roma are weirdly dysfunctional so far this season. They're part of the reason why like I can't really get my head around Serie A. Um, you look at the top of that, and like you know you kind of expected Roma to continue on. Like improving the the Monchi project is ongoing, and they just their defense has not been on point at all. So we'll see where they end up. I guess it's not. I've, your turnover, player turnover, was an interesting one for me. You know, the, like specifically Madrid are kind of like the benchmark for just like <laughs> we bought the best players and we've been playing them for some while now, and uh, just getting that consistency going. Um, However, we shall see. Right, what else have we got? So you mentioned Derek there. Uh, we can talk about his research, actually, because Derek's got a piece up on the site today. Derek is our data scientist. His name mm. is Derek Yam, uh, nicknamed Tater, at least from me. Um, yeah, so one of the things that we used to do back in the olden times, back in the day, um, of StatsBomb, was to just like really explore data, right? Like, what does the data say? What does this teach us about the game? And we probably haven't done that that much, but like part of it is really waiting for enough sample to, to be able to explore it. And part of it is we have a lot of projects going on behind the scenes to, to do exactly the same sort of thing. Um, this is all new data in a lot of ways, and we don't fully understand the implications of a lot of it. Like We, don't, we didn't know about what Derek wrote until he wrote about it. So Derek's piece is, is shot pressure, and it's part of like an initial series. We're going to look at this in a lot of different ways. Uh, I'm sure there will be people who are commenting on Twitter about like, oh, well, you should do this, you should do this. Hey, believe it or not, we probably know. Um, <laughs> we just haven't put it out there yet because this is how you kind of un- unveil information. Um, so Derek is, uh, is writing about shot pressure today. And it's not the same as actions under pressure or, or recording uh, pressures uh, that we have inside of the rest of the data set. That's a totally different thing. Um, this is more about what is it teaching us in regard to location of other players and, and how that impacts kind of basic conversion stuff. Also, like on the shot footed side, if you're getting pressure from the right and you're right footer, does that impact versus you're getting pressure from the left or no pressure at all? Um, so what did you think about that? Well, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, uh, n- nearly all the results he got out of that were highly intuitive, which is good because that's what you want. You want highly intuitive results. Uh, you want things to to match a, a kind of uh, a general expectation, or at least you know, if you're not revealing you know in- entirely new insights, uh, 
then you know it, it lined up quite nicely and what it kind of plays into is like identifying players that are good at finding space for their shots and then kind of examining it from there whereas versus players that don't and I think that the two lists he put up um, I haven't got them in front of me but the two lists he put up you had uh, players that George, don't don't Jordan Ibe Ashley Barnes uh, uh, Rondon Steve Mounier Harry Kane, Arnautovic, Benteke, Townsend, Murata, and Mares. Those are the guys that, that are high-volume shooters that shoot under the most pe- pressure, generally. Now, there's a lot of players that head the ball in there, which is one one factor. But also, hey, maybe maybe we're going to have a piece that follows up on that. <laughs> but also, you've got players that you can say, you could say like, has Andros Townsend got <laughs> got potential issues with with his shot selection? <laughs> You could say he has, and he's propped up on that list. I think Ben Teke is an interesting one there uh, to, to land on that list. And then you I think Kane's really interesting to land on that list. Um, I think yeah. Now I want to now I want to know <laughs> how under pressure is he recently? Because uh, yes, yeah. is he is he more under pressure now? Like this might be the type of thing that you know, as as you're seeing an increase and in looking at the trending for individual players. Like, all right, is is our system changed? Is our team's keying on him more? Should that mean that we need to give him a little help surrounding him? Um, yeah, it's uh, I think it's pretty cool. Um, and then the other side of it is players that take you know a high volume of shots under the lowest proportion. Of so it's pressure. pretty much it's pretty much Man City players and Arsenal Arsenal thirty yarder types. <laughs> Dwight Gale is also on there, which is a, a bit of a surprise. But Shotgun Ramsey, so slightly longer distance, but also like you know, Arsenal still have have the the passers to be able to unlock. The Shotgun one's interesting because like people like don't shoot, and like maybe he's shooting when he's open from range, and that's partly you know uh, a demand in in some ways. Um, but like you know, I think what you'll find is is it's Man City players, it's guys that shoot from longer distances when, when they're open to try and, you know, change the defensive structure. And then also the other ones are the, the counterattackers. So, like, Gale's a counterattacker on there. Pedro's probably a bit of a counterattacker. Salah's a counterattacker. Vardy's a counterattacker. Izquierdo has bad shots and is a counterattacker. <laughs> yeah, you got David Silva on there. But, yeah, I mean, Salah's a good one because I think... I think it's fair to say that he's very good at finding space um, and, you know, wriggling out to, to generate space for his shots. So, you know, it's not surprising that he's on there. Zaka's shot map's horrific, by the way. I, funny enough, I looked at it just the other day. Uh, and I think I don't think I'm surprising any Arsenal fans by saying that, you know, Granny Zaka's shot map is pretty spectacular. Um, he gets the odd, he gets about one goal a season and I think it encourages him for the other 50 58 shots that he's going to take yeah. but um, Gabriel Jesus, Jesus is, is a is an interesting one because like possibly as a comparison to Aguero because um, Jesus gets his his expected goal uh, per shot is insane it's like yeah. I don't know 0. 0.25 0. 0.26 0. 0.27 like no one in the Premier League has an expected goals per shot that high do you now, know who used to have an expected goals per shot that high go on Kaleci well, <laughs> when he was at, when he was at Man City. Well, it's funny because that's a good point. His his expected goals per shot was, I don't think it was quite that high, but it was it was on the high side, and it was partly partly why you kind of thought good things about him because it was like right, he's finding space and he's being found. Obviously, being fed by Silver and De Bruyne and such, you know, is a factor towards this. But um, it's just it's just so so scarce to find a player that does that. Um, Aubameyang's rates in Germany. 
uh, were similarly high, like really high. And they've been pretty good at Arsenal, although now he seems to be playing on the wing. And I saw something that I think Grace put out this morning about how half his shots this season have been outside the box. So that's <laughs> this isn't the best of Aubameyang. Mm. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, interesting to see that uh, Jesus gets gets at the top of this list when he's so far and away clear of the uh, top of, you know, another sh- shot factor. But yeah, like you say, early days on this, but super interesting findings um well i think the most interesting that came out of it was something you would say intuitively makes sense but we weren't sure uh so like we feel like this is data kind of confirming it which is basically pressure from behind doesn't really impact you yeah not at all yeah i mean it's, it's i guess that's the, the psychology of football you've beaten your, your man's behind you you don't care <laughs> you've got your you've got your shot on goal but this <laughs> was this was something that came out of like, i was talking to some smart people at one of the the big federations and they're like well you don't have shot pressure in there like well we we haven't we haven't done the analysis on it uh but shot pressure is something that you know only comes out of our data because we have the in- information about where the locations are or it comes out of tracking data but you can't do that at, at scale because it just doesn't exist so you can only do it on our data we kind of have enough sample to look at it but we're not recording a shot as under pressure as a subjective measure we're recording it objectively and letting the machine basically do the work and they're like well you know this guy has two guys chasing him and I'm like, yeah, but like that's a that's an ideal situation. That's like the <laughs> yeah. most open that a shot ever gets. Effectively, is <laughs> if, if you look at like the entire spectrum of shots, it's like when people are behind you and it's you one v one with the goalkeeper, or the goalkeeper's not there. So yeah, I thought it was really intriguing that basically you know pressure from behind doesn't really have an impact. Yeah, and um, you know from the sides it's it's quite impacting, and obviously in the front, you know, <laughs> because the, the blocks come into play. I imagine on that side. But I think uh, what's the other thing in fact found like. Um, Again, intuitive stuff like you know, pressures come from the left side, and you're shooting with the right foot. Then that's preferable than come from the right side. It's it's all about space. It's it's such logical stuff. But the, the point is, yeah, I'm I'm, t- I'm talking about something that's in- intuitive and seems obvious. But like we haven't had this in the data before, and you can scale that up to like you're not just looking at the Premier League. You're looking at any league that we're collecting, which is quite a few. So you know, having that power to you know, kind of cast your eye across the whole of you know a world of football and uh, find out something, uh, find out something new. That's exciting, Ted. That's fun. I like that. Space, the final <laughs> frontier. <clears throat> uh, Football's all yeah, about. Yeah. So space. this is. Yeah. Well, this is this is as James said the the start of some new research. Hopefully, you guys come to the site, check it out, um, and then. Towards the end of this month, we are going to release the goalkeeper module into StatsBomb IQ, or at least start releasing it. It'll get phased in uh, across a couple of different um, releases, and and that will be all new too. And I'm going to be really cautious about claims with the goalkeeper stuff, like you know Derek talking about Kappa. You know, we were we didn't write it in a way that made huge claims because we don't know. Uh, we use all the stuff in our own work. Uh, whether that's for big clubs, whether it's for our, ourselves to try and learn more about it. And uh, until we've done a lot of testing, we're not sure. So like, we have to be really careful about what we say. But hopefully it'll be, well, it's one of the first times that uh, from a broad public perspective, we'll be able to, to start seeing goalkeeper analysis with the data. Sam Jackson has been doing this for a while uh, internally for one of the, the agencies. Um, but we think that you know, he's... He has to collect a lot of his own data himself. We're going to have this on every single league, and it'll be available to customers there. So there's the there's the sponsored portion of the Stats Bomb Data Podcast, <laughs> if I think, you will. <laughs> I think it's, it's interesting that um, 
Kepra Ke- Ke- article came out, and there's a few Chelsea fans who are genuine, you know, understandably a little bit peeved with the idea that their expensive new keeper might not be, you know, the ne- the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then since then, he's, he, there's been a couple of goals that have kind of you think could he have done better there. So it's the early days again, interesting. We'll we'll see how that pans out over a season or more. And he's still young, so it's you know time for improvement. But you know, a lot of decisions you kind of make based on whatever evidence is in front of you at the time. And you well, know, so and someone did, at Chelsea made the big decision there. And well, sure, we'll Derek's Derek's conclusion was basically that he didn't see anything that justified the price. Not that that he was bad. But the you know the other issue is like you know maybe he was amazing the two seasons before that we don't have that data and you know we're we'll go backwards and get that at some point and do all the back testing but that's where it's at so back to the Premier League sir actually hang on I have a trivia question for you before before we go back oh Christ yep go on <laughs> who is the third place team in Syria right now after four matches oh sorry <laughs> second. Second place team also. Second in team. Oh, blooming heck. I don't know. I haven't looked at the table recently. It's impossible. You've stumped me there, Ted. I I, I would stump you anyway. Come on, then. (laughs) Who is it? It's Spal, 2013. They have three wins and a loss. They've scored four goals. Their their goal differential is plus three, so they've been very efficient in in spreading out those goals. Napoli's actually uh, in third right now with six goals for, six goals against, zero goal difference. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> this 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 league looks over, Ted. <laughs> this is so yeah, it, it probably is, but it's such a confusing thing. So it's like Juventus, Spal, impossible, uh, Napoli, Fiorentina, Sampdoria, Sassuolo. Uh, you know those times when people say the table lies. I'm pretty sure the table's lying right here. This is not how it's going to end up. This is yeah, this is not not correct. But anyway, um, coming back to the Premier League, however. Right. Yeah, because we we did, we did some we did some. Uh, previews before the season and we had to name our three teams to go down and we both agreed at the time I think on Huddersfield and Cardiff who who's your third one I don't recall can you remember Dare Southampton you remember? was it oh yeah. wow I was I was not a believer in the I, I was questioning the Marcuse's and actually that's a good point because I was I was thinking about this before the cast and uh, I was like why do you think that this guy who at one point I said was like your perfectly average Premier League um, manager? And he was like, he just kind of consistently finished, you know, right even in, in shot differential, even in expected goals type stuff. And usually middle of the table, some slight variance going up to like seventh, but some some lower variance too. So why has kind of you know numbers and why, why is Mark Hughes questionable now? And I think it really, if you take an average of 20 um 20 managers, 20 teams, but you add almost exclusively to the top end. So what happens to the guys that used to be average? It's like the mathematical way of thinking about it. The Premier League over the last five years especially has really improved at bringing in high-quality managers uh, or head coaches. And I think that that has caused Mark Hughes, who is you know, an older generation, kind of grew up in the in the English style, although with some, some genuinely good coaches, um, yeah, I think that that's caused him to, to sort of like just fall down the rankings, not necessarily almost through any fault of his own. It's simply that there are a lot better coaches in and around the league, and that's going to make it tougher for him and his teams to perform well. I think related to that, I mean, <laughs> come the end of the season, I'm sure it'll be different, but that feels like, oh, how can I put this, and this isn't going to be polite, but quote unquote dinosaur managers, right? There aren't many in the league right now. I mean, I, no. quite, I quite like Roy Hodgson just because I quite like Roy Hodgson. 
but like you know as an old school manager very he, clear he, indication you're not a Liverpool fan <laughs> <laughs> I just it just it just makes me smile I like, I like his combativeness in interviews particularly but um yeah, Roy Hodgson's probably the only one, and Roy Hodgson's a man of the world. He's coached all over Europe and such. So, um, but they always know. come back. Like last year, <laughs> we saw them all come back in. Yeah, yeah. This year, I feel like as as teams have risk. Actually, hang on. Neil Warnock is in this league. What are you saying? Yeah, sorry, I forgot about him. <laughs> but he's, yeah, I guess so. But Cardiff's a good question actually, because we a good point actually, because we both agree he's quite quickly that Cardiff would struggle and you know it, it'll be very difficult for them to to stabilise in this league actually you look at their early numbers they're actually the chart I'm looking at I've got three teams that are all kind of in a, in a similar similar spot and again five games so you know whatever but Leicester Everton Arsenal and uh, Cardiff have all got rather kind of similar expected goals numbers uh, and that's you know they haven't got any many points out of it but as of now you're not the sitting Car- there looking the at the Cardiff saying, schedule is the problem though right Cardiff is horrible yeah but they've had you know they've had some of that tough schedule they've you know they played Chelsea at the weekend so um, and got thoroughly uh, <laughs> trounced in the end which you know sadly will happen for them but you know if 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 you're you know checking the numbers at Cardiff you're not Cardiff has a pulse entirely dismayed right now. Yeah, I think that's more than than people were expecting from them. So like, Cardiff has a pulse, and and that's good. That's actually great for for them and their fans and the league itself because it, it means that they can be dangerous from time to time. Um, so Cardiff was one. Huddersfield uh, also struggling. Uh, they both have two points right now. Um, Huddersfield giving up some goals. You know, we'll we'll see if they're able to to recover any portion of that early season form from last year. And uh, and pull up a bit, but then like my third one is Southampton. They've got five points, two draws, and a win. Uh, the last draw was like a two-two, right? Um, yeah, they blew. And, blew and Southampton blue. generally have had some talent and and probably could stabilize. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Obviously, it's very early. So, so yeah, I mean, like you know, let, let's 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 just say I, I'm I'm sitting here laughing at your suggestion that Southampton will go down. They're perfectly fine, Ted. Quite clearly. Well, I can't do that, can I? Because who was my last pick? Bournemouth. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> just well, should I say I was joking? I don't know. But they're... five games in, Bournemouth are currently ahead of Spurs, <laughs> Arsenal, Manchester United, Wolves, Leicester, and Everton in the table. Early days, their numbers look fine as well. So um, their the numbers look really good, right? Ske- yeah, schedules schedules um help them a little bit. I think. Yeah, they haven't had a horrible schedule at all. But I mean, Eddie Howe well knows, I'm sure that the name of the game in this league is to beat your rivals if you ain't one of the top six and so far <laughs> that's what they've done and it looks like it's similar story to usual their attack's pretty good and and as of now their defence has yet to uh, show the the kind of poverty of quality that we might have seen in previous uh, previous seasons um, yeah I don't think they're going down purely because they've got 10 points already and you know they'd have to uh, do incredibly badly from here on in. Uh, when I pitched this, uh, I kind of pitched it to James, uh, this segment anyway, as as who's in trouble, who should be worried, right? We're only five games in, but like who should be worried based on the numbers, but also based on expectation. Um, so who should be worried? Not not Bournemouth. Well, Fulham a little bit. Um, yeah. We still think that you know that their quality is 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 good, but they're just so open. Like, yeah, yeah, they're defending 
poorly. And I think, as as I've said a couple of times, and as Fulham fans very much know, uh, they come on late. For whatever reason, Djurkanovic's teams in the second half of the year have been awesome almost every single time um, that we've seen them, uh, and especially the championship. So you know these early season times when they, they recruited very late, they recruited some of their best, best players quite late, uh, you know, maybe they're just stabilizing. They're in 15th. They've got four points. They've got a reasonable attack. But man, do they give up a lot of shots? Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. They've had a couple of tough games as well, away at Tottenham, away at Man City. But yeah, just so far, you know, they've conceded at least two goals in every game they've played. You got to stop that quick. <laughs> that's what Bournemouth used to do. Bournemouth, this is why I reliably kind of uh, not hot on Bournemouth because go through these long runs where they concede like two goals in every game, they, nearly every game they play, and you just think that's <laughs> it makes it really hard to get points in this league when you when you just can't shut the door whatsoever. There are three teams with expected goals conceded in our model above two a game. Who are those three teams? Uh, well, I'm looking at Fulham. It, so, I <laughs> so I can say, yeah, Fulham's one of them. There's over two and a half at this point. West West Ham again. We we know about their schedule. They got themselves back on track uh, at the weekend at Everton. Who are it's all just, about the midfield, baby. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I don't think anyone's in love with West Ham's midfield right now. For, for all the talent they have on their periphery, the, the mm. centre's a little bit weaker. Um, yeah, so far then their their numbers don't look good at all. And nor do Burnley's. Um, I'm not sure what to add about Burnley. I looked at this. This was the thing. But like Burnley, Burnley's numbers are always horrible. This is why I've, I've taken such strong positions against them in the past. I, I think it's funny that you flopped the Bournemouth and now Burnley are at the bottom. <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah, I mean, the, the, the danger of public predictions based yeah. on uh, being asked questions. Uh, but yeah, but like, you know, the Burnley issue will kind of rage on. They Their numbers in general don't look much different from the last two seasons. It's just they, instead of having one point, they had four points in two seasons ago and eight points last season and then kind of, you know, continued on. They're now out of Europe. That is a mercy. You know, they, they, they do not have that to worry about. So if they can just kind of re rejig themselves and uh, fix things up, then they've got a chance to uh, get things together. Newcastle also down there, and you'd say would be at some risk, but again, schedule's just been horrible for them, so it kind of does distort. I don't think they're that bad. I think Rafa is, is generally stoic enough to eke out points. Um, and then apart from that, I don't know, you'll have a, t some, a team like Brighton who've just sneakily got got five points could, could easily go four or five games without a win and then suddenly you'd, you'd be talking about them as as a risk um, Southampton's numbers are, are decent actually um, they they look fairly stable so I, that, I'm probably going to be wrong on that prediction and that's fine like you know uh, the, the Mark Mark Hughes not getting a team relegated two years in a row but <laughs> you kind of expect that yeah, now let's flip around to the top of the table before we do the the kind of risk Manchester City are taking 25 shots a game through five games that's a lot <laughs> it's yeah I mean this <laughs> it's, it's, this is the Man City way no, no, it's what's nice about this is it's easy to just it's easy to just say uh, oh well Liverpool are coming on strong and they are you know they, they certainly look and Chelsea have been a useful team so far this season but you know Man City they haven't faced uh, a, a tough schedule um, really but they 
have been quite electric in attack and created a ton of chances. Um, yeah, they they certainly look. I would say, it's hard to say. Are they as good as they were last season? Minus De Bruyne, you want you are, you wonder. Um, but there isn't yeah. much. Ev- there isn't really much evidence <laughs> to say that there's they're that much different to to what we saw before. They're probably um, getting more out of the fullbacks. Like Men- Mendy is more mm. on the attacking side. Um, so on the on the risk side at the top of the table, like I have the kind of. I was I was with the Anfield rap crew uh, this weekend. Asked them, I was like, "Who's the third best team in the league?" And one of them said Manchester United, which I thought was quite intriguing. He's like, "I just feel like they've got a lot of talent and they can, you know, kind of power through that. And if if they get a little little help along the way, maybe like uh, you know, stabilize their their center back line. Like, they just seem like they're always going to be pretty good." And I'm like, "Man, I I cannot look further than than Chelsea." Liverpool and Manchester City, and the question is like whether Liverpool are are second or third, and I'm pretty sure they're second. But Chelsea have have just we didn't know how sorry was going to settle, and they've just immediately settled with zero problems. I think yeah, I convinced myself at some point last week that Chelsea would Chelsea would finish at least second, and uh, now I'm not I'm less convinced of that now. <laughs> I think I've swayed swayed back towards Liverpool, but it. I think the betting markets as well certainly have it as City, then Liverpool, and then a, a distance, a small distance to Chelsea. I don't think it's quite as clear cut as that. I think you know Ch- Chelsea, they don't have Champions League, so you know even if they do have, it'll be interesting. They have got Europe, haven't they? Yeah, of course they have. They've got Europa, yeah. Europa League. It'll be interesting to see how he rotates into that. If he just like says whatever and ignores the Europa League, then uh, uh, you know plays. Second teams and such like Arsenal did last year. Well, they have a lot of depth too, so like yeah, it's not yeah, they, really they, really costing them much. And there are a lot of guys that that need to play and keep them sharp in case of injuries. So like it's actually the right way to go about it. Yeah, I t- totally agree. And you know, if if he works it that way and, and you know manages the the workloads, then Chelsea Chelsea could have you know quite a sedate kind of season compared to say Liverpool, who you imagine will look be looking to go deep in it, uh, Champions League and. You know, battle hard in the league as well. Um, United aren't good though. They're I, well, okay, but they're I, not good. My thing with United is, is um, you know, after the Tottenham game, even though they lost three 0 where they actually came out and they just, it was like, right, they've just decided to play a different style of football. And yeah. since then, their results have been all right. Now, if they kind of commit to that and yeah. continue to like be more of a pressing team, it's almost like can't beat him, join him. Has Jose really decided that? Yeah, you know, it's like well. I can't just sit here, sit here being stoic, looking to like e- eke out a win from a game with le- less than twenty shots in it. Let tell you what, let's just do what everyone else is doing. Yeah, Fair. well, I, that team has some fairly serious athletes on it too, right? Like, so yeah. you, like let them do some things. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's that's the thing. You know, you, you man for man, you look at the talent in in their whole squad. They, this team should win plenty of games and should be should be should be tough to beat as well. So. That's that's the kind of random factor in there now. You know, if, if you just expect them to carry on playing as they did last season, uh, then I'm sure that they would have just reverted, like you know, lost the edge that they um, that they kind of exploited to get them up to second, and would have been just battling fourth stroke fifth. If they actually change how they approach games and become a you know a, a kind of different beast, then well, it, it, it's up for grabs a bit. Something to watch. Something it to is, watch. Very much, yeah. And it's, there's there's not enough in the quite yet in the data to actually like make a hard take on that. But 
certainly, yeah, that's that's that would be something I'd be keeping an eye on as we go on. Given right. that today is the traditional Spurs Day, our, our which as an Arsenal fan, the fact that they're playing today causes me pain. But um, are Spurs in trouble? Do they need to be worried? Um, mm, they've got four easy. <laughs> they've got four easy. I say easy. They've got four games that they should. They, they've got four games that they will be heavy favourites to win coming up in the Premier League. So okay. all your Spurs narratives will kind of shake out one way or another in the next month, I think. And I'm not going to... Let's save that for another time, Ted. Okay, fair enough. I, I, was, <laughs> I was asking for, for your read on it, right? Because they've got Brighton, and then they've got Huddersfield, both away. They've got the little team named Barcelona in the Champions League on the third. <laughs> and they have home Cardiff and, and, and West Ham away. So, yeah, you're right. Those are teams that they should pick up a lot of points again. And uh, Harry Kane will be on back to five shots a game before you know it. That one I'm not believing so much, but I think the rest <laughs> of the squad can do all right. I I think I well, we did is, that last time, Ted. We, we, did, we, we did in the summer too. I'm just like El Nino <laughs> or Hurricane. <laughs> so mean, Ted. Anyway, <laughs> what else did we have today? I think that was it, Ted. We did you know we did uh, did our three topics. Oh right, that's right. Sorry about that, guys. So we you know. Occasionally on international breaks, I know we're weekly, but we're like you know pseudo weekly because we we've been a little busy on some consulting side stuff, uh, some secret projects. Stuff. But um, it's all good. So check out the site. We've got the new stuff on shop pressure coming out that's really cool. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, we'll start to tuck into probably some goalkeeper stuff. There's the excellent writers that we have there every single week, including Michael Goodman, Grace, uh, Mo's been there most weeks. Uh, so yeah, thank you very much for listening to the weekly Stats Bomb podcast. And uh, we'll catch you next time.